then you snuck up here on me. I didn't see you. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's uh, stand. We'll get started here. We're going to sing, My Jesus, I Love Thee. It's 306 in the hymnal if you wanted to look at a hymnal. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. I love thee in life, I will love thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath, and say when the death do lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus is now last verse in mansions of glory and endless delight I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow if ever I love thee my Jesus is now. All right, let's remain standing for prayer, then we'll take up the morning offering. Brother Irwin, would you learn word our prayer this morning, brother?
appreciate that. Uh, it's a blessing to see you all here this morning. Again, this is our uh, last week, as far as I know, at least for a while, of our hybrid uh, Sunday school. And so uh, if there's anyone from our class back there, do we shoo them all this away? Okay, good. If not, they're back there. <laughs> Enjoying a cup of coffee, I'm sure. So uh, that was fun last week, actually. Um, I don't know as though you could quantify the disappointment on Billy Story's face. I walked back there and, you know, just kind of making sure people knew we were going to be in here. And as I'm walking back that way, Billy had his stuff all spread out on a table. And he had just made himself a cup of coffee. And he was getting all situated. I'm like, hey, we're over there. And he's it's like this. <laughs> Just this overwhelming sense of disappointment. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, but this is, uh, as far as I know, our last week uh, doing this. I do want to mention uh, to uh, to our class. So, if you're in this class, you can just tune this out. But um, we are uh, after we finish this series, which I'm thinking is going to be about another four weeks or so. <laughs> it might take longer. I don't know. These last uh, couple lessons are, are pretty lengthy. And so we'll see if it's uh, four, five, six weeks. But the plan is each Sunday school class is actually going to be uh, pursuing their own uh, curriculum. And so um, I know Brother Brinson's class is doing um, a um, principled life. It's a book by R.B. Ouellette, and they're going through that. And so I think that's going to be a great series they're doing. Uh, in our class, we're actually doing a book as well um, by Craig Grishel which if you look him up, he's kind of a progressive dot-com type preacher, but he wrote a book. Uh, he's actually wrote several books that are very good, uh, but he wrote a book uh, entitled Soul Detox that I have given out, I don't know how many copies, that has just been so good. Uh, there's a chapter in there on bitterness. That's the best I've ever read or heard anybody preach on. And uh, anyways, it, it just talks about we live in a toxic world and sometimes as believers we allow ourselves to get uh, toxic. We allow anger and bitterness and uh, you know stress, things like that to overwhelm us. So anyways, it's, it's going to be a good series and so we're going to be doing that in our class going through that book. And uh, just a great reminder about that, as I mentioned, the, the guy that wrote it isn't maybe of our stripe, but just a reminder, all truth is God's truth. And uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, amen? And uh, so just, just because somebody who isn't of our stripe wrote it, doesn't mean it isn't true. And so there's a lot of things in there we'll kind of obviously point out. I always like to give a disclaimer, uh, even guys that we would completely agree with, uh, the guy that Brother Brent's in the book he's doing, he's an independent Baptist pastor. It just uh, he, We'd have him preach in here. He's actually a well-sought-after speaker, Brother Ouellette. But even in his book of things he would write, we understand it's not infallible because it's not the Bible. And so even in that, there might be things that we would find disagreement with or, and, and we're allowed to do that. And so uh, anyways, I don't know for sure what Brother Noise is doing yet in here. We had a meeting a week ago, a little over a week ago, talking about the future of the adult Sunday school classes after we finished the series. And so I know uh, whatever direction he moves in, it'll be a blessing in here as well. And so uh, whatever series we do, I'm trying to remember what we settled on. I think it was 15 weeks um, that we're doing 
our own thing and then we're going to reevaluate and figure out where we go from there. So it won't be as long as this one. Uh, this one's been quite lengthy, uh, but it's been very good and I think it's been profitable. Um, I actually purposed in, in my heart uh, when we were in Kaufman, I don't know if it'll wind up being the same way here. Uh, we, we started doing this series every five years uh, just because of the, the value of revisiting some of these doctrinal things. You get new people in and it's been several years and just being able to revisit and have discussion about, you know, what does the Bible really say about this and about this and about this. So I don't know if we'll do that here, but it, it's not a bad thing to, to go through something like this, uh, just to get a refresher course. And um, anyways, so that's uh, something there. So it is a blessing to have several folks back. I don't, I almost hate doing this because you always kind of forget something. Miss Jamie Carr's back. She was out with uh, her new grandbaby that was born out in Alabama and so got to spend some time out there and got back in on Friday was it yeah and so very thankful that she's made it back in and then the Phillips they've been gone for a while and thankful to have them back here y'all went up to was it in Colorado y'all were up there and so they went where it was a little cooler and uh, then got back in time for some more Texas heat and so, uh, anyways, very, very thankful to have uh, them back here as well. And uh, Miss Rhonda and Miss Kathy, they went up to see Brother Zach and Kate Shives. And again, some cooler weather up in New Hampshire there. I'm thankful they made it back. And so, anyways, y'all did this all wrong, you know. You're supposed to be gone over Labor Day. And instead, you left before and you came back for Labor Day. So... Uh, but it is a blessing. And uh, just a reminder about this evening, our service is going to be not here. Uh, it's actually going to be over at uh, the Farrier's uh, place, Ryan and uh, Alex's. And that address, I put it in there like three or four times in the bulletin. So if you miss it, it's on you. So uh, the address is there, and if you need help, uh, directions, uh, we'd be happy to give you information about all that. And same service time tonight at 6.30. Evie, being the kind and gracious pastor's wife that she is, last night we put the kids in bed, and we're kind of talking, winding down the evening, and she goes, oh, look, 40% chance of rain tomorrow. And I go, what? And I'm like, I'm really excited about there being a chance of rain, but why does it have to be on the one day we're doing an outside thing for the church? So if th there's something like that that happens, I haven't looked at it this morning. I don't know if that's changed, uh, but uh, if it winds up raining, we'll, we'll, re we'll probably come up here to the fellowship hall and do it up here. Uh, but hopefully uh, we're able to do things as is and as normal uh, for this evening. Of course, there's a lot of other things that are going on. I invite you to visit the bulletin on all those. The only thing that's changed uh, on the calendar uh, is the missionary that we were going to have on the Wednesday night has now been moved back to a few weeks into September. And also uh, the uh, youth paintball, we have moved that uh, because of the conflict with the ladies' retreat uh, with vehicles and transportation situations and things. So uh, those are the only things that have altered and or changed. All right. Well, uh, we're in Lesson 27 this morning, and so we're going to attempt the dangerous task of dealing with eschatology uh, or the study of last things. So this is going to be a nice, fun uh, study here, uh, which hopefully won't get overwhelmed with information. Um, 
So uh, let me go through this and I'll, I'll kind of give some explanation about what we're going to be doing with this. Actually, in the notes, it's built in there to kind of talk about how this is going to look. So uh, eschatology is the study of last things. It comes from the, Greeks, uh, the Greek word eschatos, which means last things, and logos, which means word or study of. These are the events still in the future on God's timetable. God has not left us in the dark nor lacking material in regard to His plans. Though there are many things we do not know or are left to speculate about, there are many things that are made plain in the Scriptures. This is neither an exhaustive study nor an expiratory study, uh, but rather a quick view of God's timetable. So if I can let you know uh, just kind of this, we're, we're like taking um, the bird's eye view of this. So you say if we were to do a full study on all the events of the things that are supposed to happen in the last days, how long would that take? Years. Um, because there's so many questions and there's so much explaining and there's so much that we would have to do on all that. Uh, that it would just take uh, an exorbitant amount of time. It just would take forever. And so if you view it this way, we're, we're going to be like flying at you know, 10,000 feet or whatever. We're, we're taking a bird's eye view so we can kind of get a picture of the whole thing, right? Uh, if you've ever flown in a plane before, you're coming into land to a city and you kind of get that bird's eye view you know, of the whole city. Uh, but you can't really see all the nitty-gritty specifics, Okay, you actually have to land to get in a car and go drive to a specific building, then you can look at it closer. So we're not landing the plane, we're just going to kind of hover at a distance. So I hope this does a few things. I hope it just saturates your palate a little bit to say, I need to learn more about that. Okay, uh, Paul commended the Bereans because they would hear something preached, and then they would go home and they would research it, and they would study it, and they would say, is that true or not? Um, and that, that really is what we're called to do, right? We're, we're called not just to accept everything at face value, but to, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. And so I hope that's the case as we go through this series, that it may answer some questions, but I hope it creates more questions than it answers. Now, usually with preaching, that isn't what we hope to do, but in this, that's what we're going to hope to do. Um, and so you might have questions. I'm not against entertaining questions and talking about them. But if we chase every rabbit down every hole, we're going to be in this for forever. So uh, we're going to just keep in mind, we're going to catch a bird's eye view with this. Now, at the very back, uh, you'll notice we put lesson 27 and lesson 28 together. It's a pretty thick lesson. And the reason why is at the very end of your um, lesson 28. I'm going to actually pull mine out so I can show you here. Well, that was a bad tear. <clears throat> you should have a little diagram that looks like this in the back of it. We're going to reference this quite a bit. And so this is, um, you might look at that and be like, oh, well, that blesses my soul. Um, but hopefully as we go through this, it'll make sense. So the letters from the notes correspond to the graph. Okay, so like when we go point A, point B, point C, like do all those, those are actually the bullet points and the letters that we're dealing with here on this actual diagram. So the point of the diagram is to help us see a clear picture of God's timetable of future events. 
We'll be utilizing diagram, and of course you've got that right there, and you'll probably do some flipping, or if you want to uh, take it out of the notes, tear it out so you can actually have it sitting there beside you as you're taking notes, you can kind of see it a little better. That might be helpful as well, okay? So a few things to note about the diagram. First thing is this, this diagram is not to scale, and that is very important to remember because some parts of this, um, like letter G is like seven years, whereas like letter U is like a thousand years, and that they're almost the same size on the diagram. This is more so just to kind of give you a reference, a snapshot. If we were to do this like actually timetable-wise, it would be massive, okay? We could build a two-scale one up here, and up most of it would be blank uh, dealing with the millennial rain. So there, there's a reason for it being shrunk down and scaled down because some things happen in sequence, boom, 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 within a tight period of a few years, and other things are events that last for a long, long time. So just kind of give you that as well. Also, this letter C there, there are much more exhaustive timetables available, but we want to see the major events in a simple to understand way. This does not have everything. It has the important stuff, okay? Um, I'm not saying other things are not important. All I'm saying is, is we're, we're trying to catch the major events and the major chunks, although there's probably some other important things that are sprinkled in there that you could get a pretty advanced timetable. If you look it up, you'll find something out there that's just very intricate and almost impossible to read. So we're trying to give something that maybe in a snapshot is a little bit easier to read. And then the last thing I mentioned here, the letters on the diagram correlate to the major points of the lesson, which we've already pointed that out. So that should be hopefully helpful there as well. So A is A, B is B, C is C, so on and so forth throughout the diagram. Now, before we jump into this, is there any questions? Here we go. Okay, letter A. A lot of this is going to be somewhat review on these first parts, but just to get us thinking in the right way, okay? Letter A, the first coming of Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> okay? And again, you can see there, uh, letter A, you've got an arrow pointing down to the um, line, and so the line, of course, is just time that's moving in a direction. We have an arrow pointing back, obviously, to creation. And then at the end, you've got this Y thing opening up, and I'll explain what that is when we get there to double A. But letter A there is the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this. He came lowly. He came humble. He came to bear the sins of all mankind. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. Uh, and, of course, we have some scriptures about that, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Matthew 11.29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. This caused a lot of uh, problems for the Jewish community because they wanted him to perform the second coming. Right? I keep wanting to point. I should put the graph up on the screen, just left it up there. But they wanted him to come down on the second coming for his first coming. And, and we say, well, why did they think that? Because prophecy in the Old Testament, again, is, is oftentimes it can have double meaning or there's kind of that mountaintop prophecy, right? Where, where they're looking and they see something way off in the future, but it looks really close. 
And so they thought when Christ came that he was going to overthrow the Roman government and set up an earthly kingdom. And that's why they're like, hey, this guy can um, heal the sick, right? Heal wounded people. He can feed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. He can raise people from the dead. This sounds like a pretty good military leader here, right? So they had that mentality about him, but they misunderstood uh, that Christ actually came the first time meek and lowly and riding upon an ass, right? He came on the donkey, not on the horse. Not like a military man, but humble and, and lowly, and, and he came to die for our sins. Okay, so we understand that with that first part of the diagram of him in the first coming. Okay, letter B, the cross and the resurrection. Of course, we've got this symbolized in our notes just by the cross. Okay, um, so this, of course is He came and died for our sins. Because He lives, we too can live. He was the first resurrection, followed by the saints in Jerusalem, and still to be followed by the rapture. Okay, um, We'll talk more about that here in a moment. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Okay, As Christ rose... There will be the second resurrection, right? Because he lives, we have life. Okay? And then you have Matthew 28, 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Daniel 9, 26a. So getting back into Daniel. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Okay? So we already have prophecy even in Daniel, dealing with the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, the 70th week of Daniel, of course, is the tribulation. But the period before that, it talks about even Messiah being cut off. That, that really is a part of the timeline of even end times and, and what's involved with Christ. Okay, So uh, letter B there, of course, you have the, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Okay, Letter C, the ascension of Christ. The ascension of Christ. Now, this is Christ's bodily ascension to heaven from this earth in the same manner uh, he will one day return. <clears throat> now, we'll read that here in a, in a moment. Let me go ahead and read these verses and we'll talk about it. Ephesians 4 8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto me. Acts 1 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is Christ in Acts. He's talking to him in his glorified body, and he begins to, to rise and ascend up into heaven, right? So remember, while they're gazing up into heaven, all the people there in Acts 1, uh, two angels show up, and they say, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into the heavens? Right? The same Jesus which is taken up from you, so, so come in like manner. So it was even there prophesying the idea, as he arose bodily, he will return bodily. Okay? Uh, this isn't some spiritual thing that's going to happen with this. Okay? So we understand the ascension of Christ is Him actually returning back into the heavens. All right, letter D, the church age. Uh, on the bottom, you kind of have that bracket that is covering this period from Christ. Okay, we believe the church began when Christ began the church with His disciples, not at Pentecost. Okay, and, and that, mm, but there's a lot of people that have a lot of um, uh, different ideas about that. Uh, Regular Baptist Press, uh, Southern Baptist Publishing, uh, puts out stuff. Uh, I agree with about everything they do, but they put out their Sunday school material, 
and it always talks about the church starting at the day of Pentecost. But it, it started with Christ and His church. Uh, why is that important? Well, if church didn't start until Pentecost, everything Jesus told His disciples to do died with the disciples because He told them to do it and they're no longer here. But if He told His church to do it, then we're still the church and we're called to do it. Okay? So we're, we, we extend that bracket of the church age or the time that the church is around from that period of Christ coming to the earth and starting His uh, earthly ministry. Okay, there, there's kind of maybe a gray area there of exactly date when it started, but sometime in the life of Jesus Christ, He begins the church. Okay, and then, of course, the church age would end uh, with the rapture, which is letter E, which we'll get to that here in just a moment. It, you would have that uh, taking away of the church, and there no longer is the church age. So this is from the time Jesus established His church, His time here on earth with the disciples, until He raptures His bride, the church home. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Ephesians 3.3, 3, How that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. Uh, the mystery that Paul is talking about here is the church age. Okay, um, you remember in Daniel's 70th week, if you were here when we did our series on Daniel, this would be very helpful for you. If not, try to fill you in. Okay? Um, 69 weeks are determined, right? Or 70 weeks are determined. There's 69 weeks. A week represents seven years okay? in, in the book of Daniel for that particular deal. So you've got 69 uh, year, or 69 periods of seven years where there is a history of Israel that happens, and then it just, it ends. And then it's like this huge long break, and then you have the one final week where God begins to deal with His people again, Daniel's 70th week, or the tribulation period, right? So there, this space between the 69 weeks and then the one week, that mystery that it's called, the thing where everyone's like, well, where'd all the time go? It's a mystery. I don't know what's going to happen. That mystery there, the valley, you have mountaintops of prophecy, the valley that the, those people couldn't see was the church age, where we're at right now. Okay, uh, This is that parentheses, if you will say, between the 69 weeks and the 70th week of Daniel uh, is this church age called a, somewhat of a mystery okay? that's there. Now, this gives us everything that kind of already has happened or is happening right now. Okay, Any questions about any of that? Because most of it's kind of review about some stuff that has happened. Very good. All right, here we go. Letter E, the rapture. Okay, so now we're going to start dealing with uh, some, obviously what we would consider eschatology last thing stuff here. Okay, Letter E, the rapture. This is not the second coming of Christ, but rather Him coming to the clouds to catch us away. Now, the, sometimes we use these terms interchangeably, and I'm going to push on that a little bit because when we do that, we can cause confusion. Okay, um, so the second coming, of course, would be that letter O on the chart where Christ actually comes back to the earth. Okay, rapture, the Bible says He comes to the clouds and we're caught up together to be with Him. He doesn't actually return. 
in, in a sense of actually coming back to earth, he returns to the stratosphere, you know, and we're caught up to be with him. Okay, so let's talk about what that looks like. So the word rapture is not found in the Bible. You say, well, why do we use it then? Well, it's because the term literally means to be caught away. And so it, it, it is a, it's a term that defines what the event is. Does that make sense? So it, it helps us, even though it's maybe not a Bible word, it helps us identify the event that is going to happen. Uh, so if you wanted to use a more biblical term, we'll read some verses here in a moment, and you would be very uh, well to do that. If you want to be caught, caught the being caught up together, you know, or caught away or whatever, you know, you could call it that. But just the rapture, most people use that term, and so that's why it is readily used because of the definition meaning to be caught away. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17 says this, For the Lord Himself... That's important. He's going to do it. Okay. Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." We've got some other verses, but let me unpack this one here a little bit. Uh, first thing it mentions, he's going to descend from heaven with a shout. A lot of people put an emphasis on the trumpet, but there's a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Um, in the Old Testament, there were feasts, three in the fall, three in the spring. Okay? One of the spring feasts was the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, uh, we preached on that before. And uh, in the Feast of Trumpets, it was kind of the, the calling in, if you will, of the harvest, whatever. To, I guess it's in the fall, not the spring, it's in the fall. It's the calling in of the harvest is the beginning of that, and they would blow the trumpets, and the blowing of the, the trumpets were just amazing. They're called chauffeurs. If you ever uh, want to hear what it sounds like, so it's kind of like a, a, a horn of an animal, and it just, it just bellows, right? It just makes this boom, boom, it's just this loud uh, noise that's there. And so if you kind of want to get an idea of what that's probably going to be like, you know, we're used to brass. We're not used to an animal horn sounding horn. So when we think about a trumpet, we think about, you know, somebody's up there playing a bugle, you know? We just picture that in our mind, and yet more so true to the scriptures, you're probably going to be dealing more with that chauffeur sound because that, that feast represents the rapture. It is a picture of that, of the calling up of God's people, uh, which actually all the feasts, if you want to study that, those six feasts, the spring and fall ones, they represent events, right? God gave them. Uh, just like the Passover was symbolic of something that had happened, those feasts were symbolic of things that were still yet future. Um, either uh, the, the spring, I believe it is, is the ones that are representative of Christ's first coming, or the fall is representative of his second coming. So interesting study there, and it would be a fun thing to look at. So we know this. He's going to descend with the, the voice of the archangel, with shouting with the trumpet of God. And then it says this, "...the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, so here we have a, a bodily 
reunion. So Paul would teach us this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we understand that where God is, when we die, we go to be with Him. Now here's where things maybe get a little bit hairy. I don't want to like, mess up anybody's theology. And, and again, you can study this. But why, why do they need to rise then, right? If they're already in heaven with God. Well, the best thing I can come up with is this, is it says this, that, that they're in the grave, right? That they're dead and that they are going to be risen is that there is a bodily resurrection. So it's at this point that there's a new body that's given. Now, I understand, don't get me wrong, we're at funerals oftentimes and we talk about they have a new body, they're not broken anymore, but it seems like more scripturally to be accurate is, is that we go to be with the Lord and then our body is made anew at this resurrection, right? This is the resurrection. So the dead are raised first. And this is where I always... Uh, uh, interesting, you can, you can read about at the uh, Great White Throne Judgment, it talks about God raising the dead to stand before Him great and small. And those are those who are sinners who are in hell or whatever, and they're going to stand before Him bodily and then be cast in the lake of fire. And it describes there places that they're drawn out of, right? The depths of the sea and hell and all these places, right? So I, I get in my mind when... People sometimes have issue with um, maybe cremation or in the way somebody died. Let's say this. God said when we die, we return to the dust. And if you were to take a body without any embalming, which is kind of a more recent thing, unless you're an Egyptian, right? Uh, bodies in a rather short amount of time will deteriorate. God made us that way so that... In all honesty, there's just dirt, right, that's left. So if you go to the tombs uh, there in Israel, I mean, I think they even do this in um, Louisiana. Uh, when we were there, there's crypts everywhere. You ever been to New Orleans? It's creepy. There's crypts everywhere, uh, like above ground um, places where they bury people. And oftentimes they can be family-like crypts. So what they would do in that is just like they would do in Israel in the old time, they would lay a body... And a year later, they would come back and they would like box the bones. And then the bones would go up like on a shelf, like there would be like a little place that the bones went. And then they would just kind of push all the rest of it to the back, you know, and then there would be a new. Remember when Christ is taken to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a, a tomb in which no body had lain before. OK, it was it was a newly hewn out tomb that no body had ever been in before. You remember when the, the guy comes to Jesus and he says, let me go bury my father first and then I'll serve you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. He, boy, that almost sounds like a harsh statement unless you know the culture that Jesus was telling him, hey, it's been a year since he's died and let, let a gravekeeper put his bones up and do, you don't need to be here for that, right? So that, that, that kind of understands the context. So uh, anyways, my whole point in all this is to say, Regardless of what status a person's body is in, um, God is going to take the elements that was us and reform them into a new body. Uh, he uses the illustration of like a seed, um, which I enjoy gardening. Uh, so that, that's kind of a, a fun thing to watch. You take a kernel, a seed, like a corn or something, and you put it in the ground. And what happens to that kernel? It dies. 
that kernel has to go away for new life to come. But what comes from that kernel? Something much greater. Something far superior than what that one kernel was, right? So, I mean, you take that kernel and you put it in the ground. At the end of harvest time or whatever, you go down there, and that kernel's not there anymore. It's gone, it's rotted in the ground, it's disintegrated, whatever the case is. But in its place, you have this whole plant. Now, that's how our body is used to explain. Our body is like the seed, and God uses it to produce our new body, which is far superior and far more glorious. Okay? So, uh, anyways, to say all that to say, the Lord is going to take our bodies, and He is going to make us new glorified bodies. Now, whether you're still alive or whether you're dead, and you say, well, what, do you, what about somebody who has this? Come on, our, our divine God is not going to have any problem finding your body parts that are, have been dust for thousands of years. He knows exactly where to get them. We say, well, there's billions of people. Come on now, this is God we're dealing with. It's not really going to be that complicated for him to take all of the saved, those who are his, and to create a new body for us. Okay, So let's read a couple of these other verses, and uh, then we'll have a little bit of discussion if that is the case. Okay, John 14.3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. He goes on after that, says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I'm going to blow this myth up. Not everybody's getting a mansion. I don't know what we're getting. He just says this, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, in my father's house are many mansions. You say, well, what are the mansions for? I don't know. He doesn't say. But he does say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Could we get a mansion? Absolutely. The context of it kind of reads that way. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a lot of mansions. But it doesn't specifically say, all right, everybody. I wonder this. What are you going to do with the mansion? You got it all to yourself. I mean, kind of wonder about a waste of space, you know, uh, just kind of get bored in that thing. I mean, we're going to spend most of our time with the Lord and, and with the presence of other believers and see a praise of the Lord. You know, sometimes I think we get in our mind we're going to be like, well, every night I'm going to sleep in a different room in my mansion in heaven. And I'm going to prop up my feet and watch my favorite show and eat bonbons, you know. And, and um, you know, God created a perfect world. And you know what Adam and Eve did in a perfect world in the Garden of Eden before the fall? They worked. <laughs> you know what we're going to do after in the new heaven and new earth? You're going to work. Um, there's still work, but it's enjoyable, right? Remember with the fall, now work's not going to be fun. You're going to have to sweat and toil for food. The ground's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. Uh, but there, come on, even here, even in a fallen world, we sometimes we take great, great pleasure in work. And, and, and God, I think, is going to have a lot of that. There's going to be worship and work and all that. So anyways, um, take that for what it's worth. All right, Acts 1, 10 through 11 says, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as they went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so show come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Meaning this, not everyone's going to die. There are gonna be, there's going to be a generation, it might be ours, right? 
Uh, it might be us. There's a generation that won't die, but that will be caught up with him, that will be raptured, okay? But we shall all be changed, meaning all those that are dead and we that are alive, okay? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, somebody's done research on that. They said the twinkling of an eye is like, I don't know, how many tenths or hundredths of a second. It's like not a full blink. It's like a, I, I don't know, somebody who's way smarter than me has done all that study before, uh, but, but I'll say this, it's quick. I don't know, you know, beam me up, Scott. He's got nothing on God, you know. Um, it says this, In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And again there, you could do a lot of study on the dead. God's going to raise them incorruptible, give them a new body, right? And we're going to be changed, right? We're going to be made anew. So that seems like that all happens at the, the rapture is when that, that event takes place. And you say, well, how, how, how is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? Where are we going to go? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, right? Is it going to be like, boom, and we're there? Or is it going to be like enjoying the flight of Peter Pan, you know? I don't, I don't know. I, the Bible doesn't really say. Use your imagination there. But understand this. We are going to be caught up with him, and we're going to be changed. And so those are the things that we know about that. All right. Now, before we go any further in this, any questions, comments, or concerns with all that that we just dumped on you? All right. Really? That's a blessing. Okay, here we go. Not, not that I don't want you to ask questions. That came out totally wrong. All right. Let's finish this out with the rapture, and then I think we're, we're going to be out of time here this week. All right. Views of the rapture. Now, th this is important. I want you to get this right. So the... Um, when does the rapture happen, right? Well, we don't know the, the day, the time, the month, the year. We don't know any of that, right? Uh, so this is an important thing uh, to remember. If somebody comes out and they say 88 reasons why Christ is coming back in 1988, they obviously were wrong uh, because he didn't come. So if there's somebody else that comes and they go, let me give you all the reasons why Christ is coming back at this time. Um, is somebody ever going to be right with that? Probably because somebody's nailed the dates from here to eternity trying to guess what it is. But they don't know. Nobody knows. No, not even the Son knows. Only the Father. Right? And the Scriptures make that abundantly clear. Nobody knows when the time of the rapture is going to take place. But the Bible does describe the rapture in two very vivid visual illustrations. A woman about to give birth and a storm about to rain. Um, now, I'll say this, um, when Evie was pregnant with our first, with Nate, um, all of our kids had to be born cesarean, but Nate, we didn't know that it wound up being an emergency cesarean, but I remember she was past her due date, and now we knew this, the baby was coming soon. Why? Right? I mean, come on now, it was pretty evident the baby's coming soon. But we, we didn't know the exact day. We, we didn't know the hour. And when it happened, it took us by surprise. We were like, oh, we're going to grab this and get this, get the hospital. You know, new parents, we have no idea what we're doing, you know, and, uh, freaking out. And, you, you know, my mind had been totally skewed by all of Hollywood because they rushed to the hospital and then the baby's born on the way or as soon as you get there. And then she laid in the bed all day long and no baby came for hours and hours and hours. It totally blew my mind on that spectrum of it. Anyways, but I'll say this. You don't know for sure when it's going to happen, but you know it's going to Just like with rain, right? Um, even with today's 
technology, they can say, oh, it's going to rain, and it doesn't rain, or there's no chance of rain, then we have a deluge come through. But I will say this, oftentimes there, there is evidence, you can stand outside and you can go, you know, you can kind of feel the pressure change and you can kind of uh, feel the temperature and the wind kind of pick up. You can see the cloud and you go this, I think it's going to rain. What an astute observation. Now I don't know for sure when, but rain's coming. I can feel it. Now the rapture's the same way. We say, I know it's coming. I, I, we see the signs everywhere that it's, it's about to happen, but we don't know the day or the hour or the time. I think we do a great disservice when we bury our head in the sand and we go, well, nope, she's not pregnant. And like, uh, yeah, she's looking like she's like nine months. I think this could be any day now, right? And that really is kind of where we're at eschatologically. We're like at that period of time. So with that in mind, when is the rapture going to happen? Let me go through these quickly. Okay, first one is this, pre-tribulation. This is what we be, this is what you should be, this is biblical. Okay? The saints will be raptured before, 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 before. Why it's pre, okay? Before the seven year tribulation. Okay? We gone pre wrath. Okay? Out of here before anything happens in that. This is a biblical view of the rapture and the tribulation period. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he hath raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now again, you can study 1 Thessalonians out and look at that verse in its context, but the, the phrase I want you to see there is this, saved from the wrath to come. Christ did not save us to go through the judgment of the tribulation. He saved us from that. Okay, we're not going to go through that. So a lot of people, a lot of believers, they, read, they study the tribulation, they go, oh, I'm so scared of it, everything bad is going to happen. They say, don't be because we aren't going to be here. You say, well, what are we going to be doing? I don't really know fully for sure exactly what we're going to be doing, but I do know this. There's a thing like the marriage supper of the Lamb and some of the, the Bema seed of Christ where there's going to be rewards and, and all that's, that. That's got to happen sometime seven years up in heaven. Sounds pretty good to take care of a lot of that business. And so anyways, that uh, pre-tribulation uh, there. Okay, here's some other views that are incorrect that I want to give them to you so you can study them and look into them for yourself though. Post-tribulation is the next one. This would be the saints have to endure to the end of the tribulation period. Again, this is a dangerous, unscriptural view of the rapture and tribulation period. And again, we're just taking a snapshot overview if you want to do some study on that of why you'll come to that conclusion. I Today, this used to be a very popular viewpoint. It really isn't today. The, there aren't very many that hold a post-trib view. Most people you, you'll read after are either going to be pre-trib, which is predominantly the main one, but one that's getting a resurgence is this next one we're going to talk about, which is mid-trib. Mid-tribulation It's called mid-trib pre-wrath. basically means this. The tribulation is divided into two sections. Uh, the first section is three and a half years of tribulation and then three and a half years of the great tribulation, so, or the wrath of God. So the, this third one that's kind of got this resurgence, mid-trib, Pre-wrath. Okay, so that is this one. Let's get a little bit of a resurgence that's out there. So this would teach this. The saints will endure the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but will not have to endure the great tribulation and persecution of the latter half. This view has been widely popularized of late, but as with the post-tribulation view, is very dangerous and doesn't work biblically. It just doesn't line up. Okay, well, any thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns before we wrap this up? 
All right. Amen. Well, it's a blessing. I know there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. And there's, if you thought that was rough, wait till you get into the future things. But um, this will give you an idea. Again, don't get overwhelmed. It's just the overview. It's just a snapshot to appetite your palate there uh, on those things. So you're dismissed. Lord bless you.